Welcome to the New Harvest Podcast. Today's sermon is called Love and Hate, and the scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 2 through 9. The Bible says, For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right, and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk. Okay, so for Lent this year, right, uh, I try to do a 40-day fast. Uh, So not like fasting all 40 days, but fasting uh, somewhat for the 40 days, and a a Lent devotional that we were presumably supposed to do all together. I don't know what happened. But uh, I wanted to kind of share with you the results of my uh, spiritual little, spiritual journey, right? So what were the results of my little spiritual excursion, okay? Do I feel closer to God? Uh, Do I feel more spiritual and full of faith? Uh, Did I receive some deep revelation? Uh, Am I filled with inner peace now or a deep sense of his abiding love? Uh, To be honest, no. I can't say that I actually really experienced anything during these 40 days. No inner peace, no revelation, no powerful encounter with God. Uh, I didn't really notice myself growing in holiness and righteousness. I actually noticed myself becoming more irritable and more agitated and angry about everything. And I don't really feel any closer to God now. Um, looking back at my 40 days, it was just hard, right? And by the end of it, it was pretty burdensome. I didn't want to do it anymore. And there is this sense of a disappointment, right? Because I expected results. I expected some fruit or at least to see some progress. I, you, you, I wanted to see something happen, right? But it didn't really work out. And, 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 and in my heart, I was really sympathizing with the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 3, right? When they said, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed. That's kind of really exactly how I felt, right? Like, I did this thing. I thought it was going to get me closer to God or, I don't know, right? Like, grow in holiness or whatever. But it seems like God wasn't paying attention to what I was doing, right? The Israelites 
were kind of doing the same thing, right? Uh, they were fasting for the healing and restoration of their land. Because the people at this time, uh, uh, during this time of the prophecy, were they were going to be exiled and the temple was going to be destroyed and they were going to be punished by God for their sin. So they called for a fast, right? Let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us repent in sackcloth and ashes. Let us beg God to have mercy on us, to restore our land. And just like me, they expected it to work. They expected God to be moved by their devotion, by their humility, right? To say like, oh, look at what I'm doing. Look at what we're doing, God. Aren't you impressed? Aren't you pleased, right? But God scoffs at their fasting. In verse 5, he says, is that what you call a fast, right? Like He's basically saying like, what is this, right? And so they cry out in puzzlement, right? In the same way that I did. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And I think that in some ways, like this is our kind of de default experience. We have all experienced this, right? The futility of religious devotion, the ineffectiveness of spiritual disciplines, right? Whenever we try to grow spiritually, to increase our faith, to, to grow in godliness, to become a better Christian, 99% of the time, it doesn't work, right? Like starting today, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Uh, starting today, I'm going to devote myself to daily prayer or some other kind of spiritual exercise or discipline, right? I'm going to battle against this lust or like this sin. I'm going to like fight and conquer these things. And, and we expect God to be pleased with us, to be proud of us for making such a wise choice and good decision, right? And then we expect heaven's help, right? By, by his love's constraining power, we expect to subdue sin. But instead, the angry powers of hell seem to be unleashed on our souls with increased power and vigor, right? And it seems that God doesn't really see all of our hard work. He doesn't appreciate our labor. He doesn't notice the effort we're putting into becoming good people. Um, I remember when I was in youth group, right, um, um, this pastor named Joshua Harris, he became like really popular when I was in youth group. Uh, and he wrote a book called... Uh, like, not even a hint, guarding your heart against lust. And he wrote a, a, another book, which was more famous, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it or read it at your church and stuff like that. But this was like, uh, during my time, the most like popular Christian book about sex and marriage and lust and stuff like that. Uh, so anyways, in this book, he talks about um, this story where he and his friends made this covenant of purity with each other when they were in like in middle school or something, right? And so they promised to like not watch porn, to not masturbate, to not do all these kind of sexually immoral things because like as according to the title of the book, right, to be a Christian, okay, you can't have not even a hint of sexual immorality or these kind of things, right? And... I think in the book it said that at the end of the, right, by, by like the end of the month, they had all kind of failed. They had all kind of broken this covenant that they made. And I think about how many covenants, how many promises I made to God 
in a during retreats and lock-ins, right? You kind of maybe have all done those kind of things where you sit in there and and when you're praying, you make these covenants, you make these promises about how you're going to do better. How many times I've rededicated my life to God at a retreat, and then after a while, it seems futile, right? It seems pointless. Um, and so the next time the preacher asks, who wants to dedicate their life to God, you don't raise your hand anymore. You don't go walk up to the altar anymore because you think to yourself, what's the point? I'm probably going <laughs> to sin tomorrow, right? And then there is this dull disappointment, right? And I say dull disappointment because after a while, the disappointment you have grows very dull, right? Because you're like, you failed so many times. It didn't work out so many times. And so you kind of like half expect it to not go well anymore, to not succeed. And I think maybe some of you are maybe in that place of dull disappointment where you've experienced the futility of religious devotion, right? And we say to God, I've done this for you, I've done that for you, but you don't see it. right? Have you not noticed? I'm really trying to be a good Christian. Where's the power? Where's the victory? Where's the peace that you promised? right? And so the question is, what is wrong with our fast? What is wrong with our worship? Well, God replies. right? He says in Isaiah 58, 2, For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of his God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them, right? So he says, look, this is what's wrong, right? You only seem eager. You only seem eager to know my ways. You only seem eager for me to come near you as if, you were a nation that does what is right. And so he's saying, your actions give it away. You say, you know, this with your words, well, we want to know you, we want to do this and do that, but your actions give it away. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Right? He says, look, right, you're fasting, but then you're doing all of these evil and wicked things while you're fasting. Right? You're saying you want righteousness, you want justice, yet you're being unjust and wicked and evil to the people around you. Right? So he's saying you're fasting, all of the bowing and kneeling and wearing sackcloth and, and, and repenting in ashes is just for show. right? Because... You're saying that you want righteousness with your lips, but you're pursuing wickedness with your body, with your actions. Right? It says here in Psalm 78, Whenever God slew them, they would seek Him. They would eagerly turn to Him again. They remember that God was their rock and that the God Most High was their, was their Redeemer. Right? So whenever God slays us, Whenever God brings us trouble or pain and suffering, we eagerly turn to Him, right? We eagerly seek Him. When, when we have nothing, that's when we turn to God. Oh Lord, You're all I want, You're all I need, You're my everything, You're my rock, You're my Redeemer. 
right? And then we kind of suddenly remember that God is everything all of a sudden, right? right? And we say all of, this, the, all of the nice poetic things, right? As the deer pants for the streams of living water, oh, my soul longs for you. And then God brings us relief, right? God brings us out of trouble, and then we quickly turn away again. And then it says in uh, verse 36 and 37, but they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant, right? It's just lip service. And you say all of those things, but you're lying. And so how often is that true of us, right? We say, God, you're our rock, you're our redeemer, you're the one I really love, and, you know, you're, you're, you're all I need. But then it ends up to just be all lies and just empty words. Our hearts are not loyal to him, right? And so really, uh, at the bottom of all of this, the problem is that Israel did not hate their sin, Right? They only hated the consequences of sin. Right? They hated the fact that they were in exile. They hated the fact that the temple was destroyed. They hated the fact that they were suffering, but they did not really despise the sin that they committed. Right? They did not genuinely regret what they had done. They were not remorseful. Right? They just said, right, oh, we just hate the consequences of our sin. Right, and so what does hating sin look like? And I think um, kind of the recent Atlanta spa shooting, I think, is a good example. Um, right when the news of the shooting first broke out, right, I saw all of these posts and all of these articles and stories, right, uh, condemning the shooting, expressing pain and outrage. Like people were talking about, like. How horrible, how appalling, how unacceptable, how messed up this was, right? And then, you know, people are saying things like, oh, we need to put an immediate end to this type of behavior. We need to put an immediate end to Asian hate, right? And so you see there was mourning, there was anger, frustration, lamenting, and grief over the violence. Grief over what happened, Right. And so many in the Asian American community were grieved. And I would say probably for the first time right, about these things. Right. And so what does the Lord's reaction to sin look like? This is the Lord's reaction to sin. Uh, in Genesis 6, 6, it says the Lord grieved, was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was full of pain. Uh, other versions, it says that his heart was deeply troubled. This is the proper reaction to sin, right? To grieve, to have your heart be deeply troubled by these things. Um, in our society, we only grieve for the victims, for the people that were lost, the, the people that were killed. But I see in Genesis 6, God also grieves for the sinner, right? He grieves for the wicked. Because he grieves for the what kind of people that these people have become, what the world has become. And God is constantly grieved and pained by our sin. But, you know, we are not, right? We are prone to think that these acts of violence and hate are just isolated incidents. They're just, you know, a few bad apples, you know, a few people just being crazy. But this is not a real 
problem that exists, right? But then we also know that racism against Asians and, uh, you know, blacks or immigrants is not new. These are things that have been happening for centuries, right? Right? Even for like Asian Americans, it was, you know, latest in the 1800s with the railroads and everything. And, and all of these things have been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years, but all of a sudden, for like the first time, it seems that we are grieved and we are concerned and we feel like we have to do something about it. Now, I'm not, you know, trying to, you know, judge or say anything about that situation, but I'm just using that as a parallel, right? Because that's how we are too, right? We think some of our sins are just isolated incidents or just kind of, I don't know, crazy, you know, coincidences that don't require immediate attention, right? Because I think we become hardened to sin. We have kind of built a built up a tolerance for evil. We we are used to it, right? And this is because we are evil. The Bible says, "When tempted." In James 1, 13 and 14, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So what I'm saying is this. Do you think that Jesus will be tempted by pictures of naked women? Do you think that Jesus would lose his temper if people were saying mean things to him and throwing things at him? Do you think that Jesus would ever become tolerant and used to and complacent towards sin? The answer is no, never. And this is not because he has some special power or, you know, because, you know, he is some like, you know, anything else. It's simply this. He's righteous. Right. So what James is saying is we're tempted by sin because we are sinful. We are tempted by evil because we are evil. Right. Think about it. We are never tempted to do good things, right? Like, like, you know, for me, I get tempted by like, I don't know, bad, like food, right? So I get tempted by pizza and, 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 and like eating ramen and, and ice cream and stuff like that. Like when I cook ramen, I always cook two, two packs and I always cook it at night. Could look like the worst time to do it, but it's the best, right? You can't resist or I can't resist, right? And so, but in all my years of living, I've never been tempted to cook two bags of broccoli or to, you know, eat two salads at any time of day. I've never had that temptation. Why? Because I'm tempted by the evil desires in my heart. Right? Now, I mentioned Joshua Harris earlier, right? Because he became like this kind of, this uh, Christian, like, representative of like sex and marriage talk for like youth. And like he wrote his book, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye at the Age of 21. And, and what he was famous for in that book was, um, he, he was famous for having his first kiss on the altar with his wife. Like that was the first time he ever kissed a woman was on the altar. Right. And so he was like this image of purity, this Christian purity, sexual purity, and all of those things. And then he wrote his his next book, Not Even a Hint, a little bit later. But then in 2019, Joshua Harris announced that he was leaving his wife. 
and renouncing Christianity. Uh, in an in a interview, he said, If you're not living according to the teachings of the Bible, and you're living in unrepentant sin, then you have to be put out of the church. I excommunicated myself, essentially. So he's saying that that's the reason why he quit uh, become being a pastor and quit, um, you know, he, he, that's the reason why he renounced Christianity because of there was this unrepentant sin in his life and he excommunicated himself. He even unpublished all of the books saying that his books misled a lot of people, right? Uh, kind of um, created a lot of difficulty for the people who are trying to live by these kind of unrealistic standards. And so the question is like, what happened, right? What happened to this guy? Right? Because I think this is this is the this is the, the the main thing was there was this unrepentant sin in his life, and even though he was a Christian and he knew about God, he knew about the Bible and all of these things, he didn't want to give it up, so he gave up Christ. Because you cannot love God without hating sin. And it says so uh, in multiple places in the scripture. In John, 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot both serve God and money. So you cannot love God and love the world. You cannot serve God and serve the world or serve money or anything else. Jesus says you will either love one or hate the other. Like there won't be no middle ground. There won't be no neutral. Right? I think that's what ultimately happened for Joshua Harris too. Even though he was a, a pastor leading thousands of people, he had a, his church was like had upwards like four thousand members. You got, you got to give up one or the other. Uh, in James 4, uh, it says, James 4, 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Right? So, you know, we say things like, oh, these things are satanic, and we talk about like little Nas X, and like, oh, he's selling like demonic shoes with like blood in them, and it's like, oh, those things are demonic. No. What's really truly demonic is this kind of um, fake religion, because the Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. That's really demonic. Right. What what little Nas X is doing is really stupid. It doesn't. That's not the way Satan operates. Right. Satan operates as by masquerading as an angel of light, and so this is what we have to look at: is when we do all of these righteous things or religious things like fasting and worship. What is our motivation? What is going on in our hearts? And I think this is the problem: is we cannot. Love God without hating sin, right? But this, that's what exactly what we try to do. We try to love God without hating sin. We try to love God without condemning the sin within us, right? We try to live for God without dying to our sin. And this is what kind of um, 
restricts us and hinders us from growing closer to God. This is why God ignores our fasting or ignores our efforts to grow holy. He's saying, look, that's the problem right there. You can't try to love me and still hang on and cling on to sin. Right? Or try to just you know sweep things under the rug and just right. You have to truly hate sin, right? To love God is to hate sin, and to hate sin is to love God. And so for me, um, the problem with Joshua Harris and the books that he wrote about sexuality and all of that. The the problem with those books is not that he told people to be celibate or to not kiss each other until they get married, right? The problem is they ultimately vilify vilify the wrong thing, right? Because in the book, the way he wrote it, you you can read it and say, oh, lust is the problem. Sex is the problem. Or this is the problem, right? Porn is the problem. Society is a problem. And so we condemn sin and, and evil everywhere else around us except in us, right? Except in ourselves. And the problem is, is it's not that lust is evil or that sex is evil. The problem is, is that we are evil. And that's why we're tempted by all of those things. And so instead of spending so much energy trying to destroy lust or sin or you know prohibit other people from doing this and that, the real problem has always been right, within us, within our own hearts. And so what the Israelites were doing were the, the same thing. They were so worried about maintaining this image of righteousness. They were like, oh, we're going to fast and do these things, but we're not going to actually take care of the sin that we're guilty of. We're not going to hate the sin that we are committing because we just want God to just look you know, be pleased with us and look at us um, with approval. And so we don't really deal with the hidden evils of our hearts. So the Bible is not really interested in making us look good. The Bible is interested in making God look good. It's not about making us holy, but it's declaring that God is holy. It's not about us being righteous. It's about the fact that God is righteous. And so at the at the end of that, he says, if you really stop doing all of these wicked things, God says to them, then I will come and heal you. Right? Then 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 healing will come quickly and 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 and, and I will bless you. I think this is what's really missing is we we want to kind of go we're we're too far a, a, ahead of ourselves. We want to like love God, but we don't want to deal with our sin. And so what I'm saying is for us, right, maybe sometimes it's good to take a step back and right and not just dive into fasting or not dive into Bible study, but really confess and seriously learn to hate our sin, to to develop this hate for sin. Because when you develop a hatred for sin, you're also developing a love for righteousness, a love for goodness, a love for holiness. And so this is what's really required of us to grow. And once we do that, God will do everything else. God will heal us. God will give us new desires and new hearts and, right, and do all the other things. But I think the first thing, the first step, right, is not to just rush into doing good things or being a good Christian. It is to recognize that we are evil. 
is to recognize that there's sin that needs to be dealt with and condemned in our hearts and not just pretend that you know we're past it or we're fine. Okay, let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we just come before you, Lord, and you know, we don't want to look at the true nature of our hearts, the true wickedness and evil that is within. But your word is clear to us that the inclinations of our hearts are evil all the time, that no one is righteous, not even one. And so maybe cling on to that word, maybe trust your word more than our own senses, more than our own judgment, and that maybe condemn the sin that is in us so that we can receive the grace. Right? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So maybe truly, honestly, genuinely humble ourselves and not do it in this fake way that the Israelites were doing so that we can truly be healed and made new and receive your blessing and mercy. So just be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.